I'd like to make an immediate correction to open the podcast today. Last episode, I erroneously stated that late in the fourth quarter when Oklahoma inserted its backups on defense, that Billy Bowman was playing corner alongside Latrell McCutcheon. That was wrong. Bowman was in the game, but not at corner, and weirdly not even at nickel. Bowman was playing safety while Damon Harmon was playing the nickel position. The corners were McCutcheon and Joshua Eaton. So this begs the question, what's going on with Billy Bowman? When the season began, this dude was the starting nickel, considered one of the best five DBs on Oklahoma's roster. After all, Alex Grinch always talks about how he wants his best five guys out there, and as a starter on opening day, Bowman was looked at to be one of those guys. If you look at what Bowman did at corner against TCU and against Kansas, one would be justified in stating that Billy Bowman is no longer one of OU's best five guys. But Bowman's not a corner. He was playing that position out of necessity because Alex Grinch determined all the other corners he has behind DJ Graham and behind Woody Washington, who was obviously injured, were not good enough. The implication from my perspective was, hey, our corners are not playing well. We like Bowman, so we think he can play corner better than all of our actual backup corners. Well, it turns out Bowman could not play corner better than the backups. But against Texas Tech with DeLarian Turner yell healthy and DJ Graham healthy, Bowman did not slide back over to nickel. Instead, according to those who watched Oklahoma's pregame warmups, Bowman was with the corners in pregame against Tech. And then, as I stated a little bit ago, Bowman was playing safety during the game. I have no idea what's going on with Billy Bowman. His play this season at nickel has not disqualified him from playing that spot, in my opinion. Yet Bowman seems to have been moved away from that position, and Justin Boyles looks to be the only player at that spot that Alex Grinch trusts. I know bye weeks are mostly thought of as a time for players to rest up and get healthy, and that's definitely important for Oklahoma. But this bye week is also crucial for Alex Grinch and his secondary. He needs to figure out his best five guys for the remaining three games of the season. Key Lawrence is going to continue playing corner. At least that was the heavy implication by Alex Grinch after the Texas Tech game. DTY and Pat Fields are fine at the safety spots, and DJ Graham is just fine at the other corner position. Justin Broyles is the weak link in the secondary if he is that fifth guy. His play against Tech was not particularly awe-inspiring. Aside from being gifted an interception, he didn't really do anything noteworthy. Soft pass coverage, getting to the receiver too late to make a play on the football, and Broyles wasn't particularly impactful coming up in run support. I sure would like to see Billy Bowman get some more snaps at nickel moving forward. Alex Grinch told us he was one of their best five guys two months ago. Unless something has happened behind the scenes that we're not privy to, I sure hope and would like to see Bowman get some more snaps at nickel against Baylor. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Hey, welcome to the show. If you're somewhat new to West of Everest and you like what we are doing here so far, I'll take this time to ask you to please give us a five-star rating. And if you'd like, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Your positive ratings and positive reviews helps other Oklahoma fans discover this podcast. And to be frank, it also makes us feel really good. Not to mention, it makes us want to work that much harder to bring you all good podcast content moving forward. 
We're talking playoff rankings today, some final thoughts from the Texas Tech game, and some other stuff that I can't think of at this point. We're going to talk, okay, actually, I just thought of it. We're going to talk more Key Lawrence moving to corner, some Billy Bowman, as I talked about in my opening take, and uh, a lot of Caleb Williams, or at least some Caleb Williams, because he was awesome in that game. You guys already know that, but I got a chance to watch back some tape of it and I have some thoughts on some of his best throws and some of his best plays so we'll talk about that going forward in this show joining me as always a man who told me earlier this week that he plans to sit down and watch back every single snap of all nine OU games before the Sooners get into their final three games of the season it sounds like this man is treating the final three games of the year like it's the final season of Game of Thrones that man of course is Grant Benson there's just a lot a lot in there that's that's problematic. A lot lot in there that's just not right. You think for a second I'm actually going to take time to rewatch the Tulane game or the West Virginia or the Western Carolina game or the West Virginia game or I, the Kansas game especially? You're crazy. Every no. single snap. I am like I will nah, I especially kind of like the first like the first 5 games of the season were not particularly pretty at all to watch not not really the type that you want to go back in and relive over and over again and also why would you bring up the last season of game of thrones into this you're just like you just totally like <laughs> what on earth why would you do that that is so like are you just are you just trying to make like the vibe and the mojo of everything just totally wrong and off uh-huh. like like seriously like i mean you you equating anything that is like i mean however like however loosely tied to the program that we are, the fact that you just like tied this to Game of Thrones final season, I mean, that's 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 as much as I need to know. This thing's about to go off the rails. We do have a lot more influence though than we thought we did. And uh, that might have been incredibly irresponsible of me. I didn't think about that until you just mentioned it. Well, yeah, I, I guess I can own this one. Um, it's a good thing they're on a bye this week, so maybe they're, the, the, the time... Will pass by, and the the stink of the Game of Thrones final season reference on the West of Evers podcast will go away and not have any sort of influence on the rest of this college football season. How do you like that? How do you like that? Yeah, ridiculous. Should I have said the final season of Lost? Would that have made you feel a lot better? No, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm trying to think of shows that had really good final seasons. I don't know, The Wire, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad works better than The Wire. The Wire's a good show. I thought the second to last season was its best season, but who cares? No one's listening to this podcast for our Wire takes. <laughs> okay, college football playoff rankings. Let's get to that because that's the big news of the week, and you and I talked about it briefly on the last podcast. We lampoon it. It doesn't make any difference. Who cares? It's just for people to talk about. I said that as long as you're a Power 5 team and you're unbeaten like Oklahoma is, whatever the rankings are, the first rankings, and honestly, whatever they are until the end, as long as you win and you take care of business, it doesn't matter because you're going to get into the playoff. You're going to get to where you want to go. And then Tuesday night, the rankings are coming out, and it's one of those things, again, where they don't matter, but we pay attention to them because they are something to talk about. And sure, we have a podcast. We'll talk about it. And then they flash up Oklahoma at number eight. So I ask you, Grant, whenever you were watching, were you watching it live by, the, by chance? Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> so was I. I was at work, so I was doing it. It was part of our 6 o'clock newscast, so I was trying to get all the rankings in there under the gun. You guys don't care. But you were watching it live. That's what matters. That's what I care about. 
when you saw Oklahoma flash up there at number eight, your initial reaction? I mean, I wasn't I wasn't super surprised. I mean, I, I tried to lay the the groundwork and on on the pod that we recorded on Sunday. I told everyone that they were going to be low, that they were that they were going to be lower than a lot of people think. Um, and so no, I mean, it doesn't it. Where OU is doesn't necessarily bother me because you know what, like if you if you if you go by how the college football playoff committee operates, it's not it's not that crazy to think that OU's OU schedule has been a joke this season. They haven't played anybody good. Um, they haven't beaten anybody of of any sort of consequence whatsoever, and they've struggled in a lot of their games. So yeah, I mean OU has given the committee every excuse under the sun to put them where they are right now. Um, having that been said. I still think it counts that, you know, you've, you've played nine games and you won all of them. Um, I still think that you should still get credit for that. Um, call me old-fashioned, whatever. Um, but no, I mean, it's just, it's... The frustrating part about the college football playoff rankings is that they are completely subjective. And I'm sure the people on the committee would say, though, that's not the case. There's a lot of metrics that we use. But they are not transparent about those metrics. They don't tell us what they are. They don't tell us what they're actually looking at. Uh, so you just kind of have to guess. You have to just say, "Oh, well, you know, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna highlight that, or they're going to emphasize that over something else." And it's all just a guessing game. And so when that's the case, when everything is so subjective like that, and they're not transparent about their process, it turns into the perception of a popularity contest, which is why people get super upset and they get emotional over these things because it's it's what it's like ten guys who. I mean, I don't, I don't know how qualified they are to be ranking these teams, to be totally honest. I mean, I'm, I'm sure some of them don't know what they're talking about half the time. Um, and so it's, so yeah, and so when you have no sort of window into what that process is, it comes off as a popularity contest. And when it's a popularity contest, of course there's going to be p- people who are upset because people, this is college football, people emotionally get tied to these, these universities, these programs. And in a popularity contest, when you're being told that you're not popular, that's not fun. That sucks. Um, and so okay. it's like, yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be something that we're going to be going over a lot over these next handful of weeks, I'm sure. But this is something that could very easily be ameliorated by having an objective process, which is something that they refuse to do. You absolutely 100% need an objective process to qualify for the playoff. But they don't have that. And so this and by is, that you mean you mean like a list of like boom 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 you do this so there's no you, doubt yeah, there's I mean, no it's, it's easy you you, it's, you it, yeah it, it, one rule would make this way easier you have to win your conference boom there you go but then people would stop talking about it and complaining about it which I'm sure their numbers say drives up social media engagements drives up ratings and whatnot and so they're not they're not going to do that I mean this is all very calculated like and I know that sounds cynical and I know it sounds but yeah I mean this is. The reason this show exists, the reason that these rankings exist before the final week of the season, is so that I'm gonna, so that I will come on this podcast and bitch about it. Sure, that's great, and I do have a, a separate question for you because of something you said at the start of that. Uh, I, I will say before I tell you my initial reaction to the college football playoff rankings, I, I never really am bothered by any of this stuff. I. I'm not bothered by the way they do it. The only time I, I really was annoyed with how everything played out was I believe it was a, a few years ago and I was going to reference this later on in the podcast I think it was 2018 when Oklahoma ended up making it and that's when they played Alabama 2018 was a season where Ohio State was on the outside looking in as a one loss Big Ten champion and the playoff committee on the last 
rankings had them at six behind Georgia at five, and Georgia had lost two games. And that's whenever I, – I remember you and I came on. I think we were like, what? okay, neither one of those teams made the playoff. Georgia and Ohio State were both out of it. So why did – but you still felt the need to put Georgia ahead of Ohio State? Like they were going to be the next one in with two losses over a, a Big Ten champion, one loss Ohio State? I remember you and I coming on and saying, that is ridiculous. That's stupid. It didn't matter, but it mattered in, in the sense that they were telling us that for some reason a two-loss Georgia team was actually – more deserving of a playoff spot over a 12 and one Ohio state. And I think well, see, that's if the thing. Certain- they weren't saying that though, that that's where, that's where the Kirk Herb streets of the world and the people who love this, this formula will come out and say, no, they're not, this has nothing deserves, got nothing to do with it. They're, they're ranking subjectively who they think the best teams are. That, that okay, is what they're doing in that, in that who instance. the best, I mean, whatever. And so in that, yeah, and sure. so in that situation, they were saying that we think Georgia is better than Ohio state. The problem with that is that they pick and choose when they use that logic to suit their convenience. That's where it gets really, really, True. really frustrating. But they, in that situation, though, it didn't, it didn't burn them or help them because it didn't matter because neither one of those teams were in the playoff anyways. They've never had a situation where they, I think, pick a team they think is better over a team where you look at like, okay, that team should be in over the other. It just it hasn't worked out that way. They, they guess they've been lucky in that sense throughout the entirety of the playoffs, so ultimately, I, it doesn't really bother me that much. But I, I will say, to back to the original question, what was your reaction? I, I'm I'm different than you. I, I was surprised. I was surprised to see Oklahoma at eight. Uh, I had thought worst case scenario was Oklahoma maybe at six, something like Georgia, Michigan State, Cincinnati, Alabama, and Ohio State ahead of Oklahoma. And on the flip side, I thought best case scenario was Oklahoma maybe up at three, behind Georgia and Michigan State. That's kind of what I – so that was the range. So when I saw eight, I was surprised. I was pretty shocked. Uh, and so watching it back – or not back, but watching it live, I was pretty intrigued how they would rank the next seven teams ahead of Oklahoma, except for obviously Georgia, who was going to be number one. So I was pretty surprised by that. The question I was going to ask you is that at the very beginning of this podcast, when I asked you what was your reaction, you said that you weren't all that surprised by Oklahoma, and you didn't really have much of a problem with Oklahoma at eight, but – I could tell in your voice you were kind of implicating or the implication of your voice was that you were a little bit more bothered by something else. And I know you talked about this subjective nature, but is there anything else about the the top eight, though, that that really got you annoyed aside? Because it sounds like Oklahoma being an eight wasn't really the, the big problem you had. No, I mean, it's it's more of just kind of like a general complaint, whereas like I, I think oh, okay. the I think the one of the fun parts of the college football season is if you lose a game you have to claw yourself back. You have to claw yourself back up to that or until some people fall back to the pack. That makes college football fun. Alabama, that game against Texas A&M didn't happen. It's irrelevant. It's, it hasn't happened in the eyes of the college football playoff committee. Now maybe if it gets to the end, now maybe it gets to the end and they have two losses and that prevents them from getting in, then maybe, yeah, they'll acknowledge that, that loss matters. But I just, it's, it absolutely drives me insane that Alabama is number two in this poll. It drives me freaking crazy. Now, here's, here's the thing. Is Alabama actually the second best team in the country? Probably. Probably. But you're taking away all of the fun from the season. All of it. <laughs> all of it. Like, it's... the College football is fun because when you lose a game, you always drop. That's what makes it fun. 
and like I I don't and so like stuff like this just it, it bugs me it, it absolutely bugs me I still think that there should be reverence for not having any losses and of course we can we can choose whether or not we want to wait whether or not you know those undefeated seasons happen in a power five or a g5 conference that's fine I'm fine with that but I just like it's it's kind of like a dagger to my heart that Alabama goes on the road and loses to like a pretty average Texas A&M team. I know, I know they're in the top 15 of, of this poll. Um, or uh, Yeah, they're number 14. But Texas A&M not, is not a great team. They're, they're not a great team at all. Um, and it just it doesn't matter. Because if Alabama was 8-0, they'd still be number two in this poll. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not as bothered by it. I was more just kind of like, yeah. Wow, I mean that's this is like the the ultimate Alabama. I think I saw people on Twitter. Maybe, maybe I made this up, but like the the joke of like, oh, this is Alabama privilege because it's Alabama and, and it that's that's just the way it is with Crimson Tide. We all know that they're always the best or they're one of the best. They have all these national titles recently, and this is kind of the ultimate. Wow, I did not see that coming. I did not see them at two this early on. Like, wow, that's that's straight up saying we're basing this off of who we think is the best team. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not all that bothered by it because maybe, so, yeah, maybe if like Oklahoma's the, undefeated and Oklahoma's still in a spot. But I guess I, I will be more bothered by it, let's say, if Oklahoma loses I mean, one of these last three games because this is setting up. We can kind of transition to this. I mean, it's setting up to essentially be – I mean, Oklahoma, they're going to probably have to go undefeated to make the playoff, which – I think, I think that's they, way that, too premature. I think that's premature at this point. Um, sure, because a lot of stuff can happen. I get that. A lot of chaos. But this, a lot of chaos this will is, happen. Sure, but you know, considering since the playoff has existed, Oklahoma, when they lose, when Oklahoma loses, it usually it happens obviously earlier because this is the first time since 2004 Oklahoma has been 9-0. and And in the past, Oklahoma has already had that first loss by now, and they can still win, and you know, they win and win, and we know what's ahead of them. Whereas now, I mean, they've got to the point with no loss what's the cliche uh, and it might not be a cliche it might just be kind of what it is like you lose later in the year it seems like that kind of ends up maybe hurting you more than it does if you lose earlier in the year and so i know it's yes i, I get it it's, i mean wait, in 2017 no, you, alabama literally lost their last regular season game didn't play again and still made the playoff they did yeah they lost to auburn to go to eleven and oh, one, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, and then didn't play in the SEC title game, and then just didn't play again, and they still got in. Well, I mean, that's, so, that's, like, that's Alabama. That's, that is Alabama. That, that's sure. the one team that but, can happen. But, but if you recall, they didn't. They hadn't beaten anybody that season. Like that was that was the big controversy. They didn't have like any quality wins. Interesting. Uh, but but there was no one else there. The other the other conference champions had two losses. Um, and and I've been consistent on this. I've been consistent on this since two thousand and sixteen. Um, when I, or I, I think in 2017, when I changed my previous opinion in 2016, um, two loss conference champions should absolutely be in over teams with one loss because otherwise it doesn't logically make sense. Um, and I, and yeah, I mean, we're, this is, you know, you can go back into the archives. I've made this argument numerous, numerous times. Uh, it's just, you know, but the, the, you know, them not having any objective standards does make it so people are going to worry about this stuff. Like, I know, like, one of the big, one of the big questions is, she, man, if Alabama and Georgia, if they play a close game in the SEC title and Alabama hold loses. On, hold on, hold they, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, we're going to, we're going to discuss that. We have props. Don't, don't jump the gun on that yet. I mean, we're going to, we're going to talk about that. I, that, because we're, 
we got some uh, I, I got a Twitter question about essentially what I just kind of said in a roundabout way about Oklahoma. Okay, well let me go back to let me go back to what you were saying then about OU needing to go undefeated. See, I don't I don't agree with this. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Uh, well, the, the committee is the, the, the committee is is teeing it up for OU. They're going on the road to play the number 11 and number 12 teams. Like I've, I, I know what they're doing. They do this. They are they and they, they've done the same thing for the Michigan States and the Ohio States of the world. You see all the Big Ten West teams that are 21 that are 20, 21 and 22. They're there just to tee it up. That's that's why they are there. Sure. OK, so. I got okay. So this this actually transitioned nicely into what I what I have, and, and it'll, it'll go along with it. So what I wanted to do is take a look at the teams ahead of them and determine okay, how does Oklahoma get there? Because the question is, does Oklahoma actually control its own destiny? Yes. Yeah, and, and honestly, gra- it's it's yeah. silly to even if if Oklahoma goes undefeated, there is zero chance that they are left out of the playoff. The people who are worried about that are are worrying about nothing. There is a 0% chance they are left out of the playoff if they are undefeated. Zero, zero, zero. So I go to Twitter because Matt had a Twitter question along these lines. He says, what are the chances that Oklahoma wins out and ends up on the outside looking in at four one-loss teams ahead of them? Are Alabama, Georgia, Oregon, and Ohio State all shoo-ins with, with one loss? And so I agree with you. I agree. If, if Oklahoma does win out, they're in. But here's another part of Matt's tweet that's it's kind of interesting to me. He says, Bama beats Georgia in a close game. And this is, goes back to a minute ago when you were talking about Alabama-Georgia, that whole thing. And I, I stopped you so because I, I knew I was going to get to this, so we're going to bring it back up. The whole situation of Alabama beating Georgia in a close game. They both have one loss. And then Ohio State and Oregon each went out. And then the committee at that point wants to put in Alabama and Georgia – and they want to put in Ohio State, but they can't put in Ohio State without putting Oregon in because Oregon has that head-to-head win. I kind of think this is a pretty interesting scenario. Do I think that in this scenario plays out, Oklahoma will get left out undefeated? No, I do not. However, if this, something, if this situation does play out, this is where I, I kind of go along the lines of like Oklahoma might need to be undefeated to make the college football playoff because Oklahoma has one loss and this scenario plays out Oklahoma might be in trouble of missing the college football playoff. I think this is a pretty interesting scenario. Sure. I, I guess, I mean... Because, because of that yeah, Oregon-Ohio I mean, State head-to-head the, thing. Like, the hypothetical, just if that were to happen, that, like, just, that would be so bad for college football. If, if, if you go in, if, if Alabama and Georgia went into this, that thing at 12-1, and one, both of them, because of course both of them would be in the field. That would be so awful for college football. So it's hard for me to like to even entertain it because one, I don't think it's going to happen. I think Georgia's going to handle Alabama pretty easily. Um, I, you know, I easily being a relative term there. Um, and also, I think Alabama's going to lose again. I think Alabama's going to lose to Auburn. So because uh, Alabama's this is the worst Alabama team since two thousand and ten. Um, which I mean, Ooh, I, relatively speaking, is I mean they they don't protect the quarterback very well, and Bryce Young is is merely just pretty good and not great. So, um, yeah, I guess in, in that scenario, yeah, it would be really interesting. Um, I really think in that scenario, you're really discounting how brutal OU's final four-game stretch would be in that regard. Because um, they're about to... The, the, big, the big knock on OU right now is that they only have, like, one quality win. 
Um, and that's that's over Kansas State. That that's that's their quality win. Um, they're they're about to get four. They're gonna have four consecutive quality wins if they go four and zero. Two of them on the road, and the other is going to be in a in a rematch situation in a Big Twelve title game as well. So OU like OU's resume, if they were to get to the end of this thing at thirteen and zero, is gonna look pretty good compared to everyone else. Um, like I, I mean, I think it's if so. I, yeah, I, I well, just yeah. I, I mean, at, at, at thirteen and zero, yeah. That, but where it's interesting though is if they're twelve and one. Sure, and sure, and but that, that's and that's, that's where, where it's just like I, I don't. That's where you just kind of let college football play out because a lot of stuff, a lot exactly. of weird stuff is going to happen. Exactly. It, it, I guess we will. It's what just, I'm, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to tell you indirectly, podcast. is that I find, I, I find those hypotheticals completely uninteresting. Is what I'm, is what I'm saying. Gotcha. And normally I do as well. The only reason why it's a little more interesting to me in this situation is because Oklahoma opened up so low in, in the polls. That, that's why it's – and because of the weird potential of that head-to-head thing with Oregon and Ohio State cropping up. And, and I, think that's, I think that's a pretty interesting situation. I really do. Uh, uh, but I mean, it's, it's going to work out. I think Oregon and Ohio State are both going to lose again. You know, I mean, you got – Ohio State has, has Ohio State Landry Jones as their quarterback. I mean, he's – like, it's <laughs> – uh, it's like they're going to lose again. They're going to lose to Michigan or Michigan State. Hell, Ohio State may lose to Nebraska this week. It wouldn't shock me at all. So, like, hey, and I, I totally get it. And this is one of those things where, as every week goes by, and if the teams don't lose, and they get closer and closer, and the teams aren't losing, then it starts to become more of a let's revisit this again. But at, you know, as of now, we discuss it right now. I think it's, and then we, yeah. and then we won't discuss it until it potentially becomes a thing later on down the line. I was gonna say I think it's I I think it's a much more fun hypothetical to say, what if Georgia, Michigan State, Oklahoma, and Wake Forest all went out? That's way more fun to think about than than anything else. Georgia, Michigan State, Oklahoma, and Wake Forest. Is that what you said? Yes. So and Cincinnati. Even add Cincinnati in there. All all those teams being thirteen or no. That's a oh, yeah. way more fun hypothetical than. The Georgia Alabama one, which honestly, if that were to happen, that would just be depressing for college football. It'd be bad. <laughs> It'd be bad for the sport. Well, yeah. Because so the way I, I see it right now, Georgia obviously controls its own destiny. Alabama, as much as we hate to admit, controls its own destiny. Michigan State controls its own destiny at number three. So the top three all control their own destiny. What do you have? Do you have a comment on those? I was going to no? say a yes. lot of teams. Every every team right now that is not Cincinnati that has zero or one loss controls their own destiny pretty much. If, no, no, if, like, no. If, I was if going... we go by history of of this playoff. Ah, see, see, that's what I disagree. I disagree. I, and this is kind of what I, I put my notes to. You get to Oregon at number four. I don't think Oregon controls its own destiny. I don't think they do. There's only uh, they're the only ranked team in the Pac-12. There's nobody else in the Pac-12 that's ranked. Their one loss is bad to a three and five Stanford team. Uh, the rest of the way. Uh, they're going to have, you know, the, the, they're going to play the Pac-12 title game at some point if they reach there against either Utah, Arizona State, or UCLA. Utah or UCLA would be a rematch. Uh, they might be, you know, playing a ranked team in that scenario, but it's, it's going to probably be a very low-ranked team. And the fact that Oklahoma is back there at, un, uh, you know, at 9-0, and that hurts Oregon. And so I don't think Oregon t- uh, controls its own destiny. I don't think they do. Uh they need help. It's okay, kind of but let's but let's actually look at this realistically, though. Michigan State ain't going to go undefeated. They're not going to go undefeated. 
So they're going to fall. Um, Michigan is going to lose again. They kind of like they kind of. That's what, the thing, though. Like as of right now, we're talking who controls their own destiny. That like you're just you're just jumping ahead. Like oh, they're going to lose. They're going to lose. They're going to lose. Because I'm, I'm being realistic. Like, so you're you're assuming that you're assuming if they control if everyone wins out, which is not possible because some of these teams said, play each other. I said I said Oregon needs help, and that Michigan State losing falls in line with Oregon needing help. That's all I'm doing right now is talking about who controls their own destiny and who doesn't. Michigan State does right now, but I don't think Oregon does. Ohio State, I think Ohio State controls its own destiny because that would, that would knock out Michigan State. Michigan State would be knocked out because they would beat Michigan State. Cincinnati, it's unclear, and they, they probably don't control their own destiny. They probably need a lot of help even if they go undefeated because it's Cincinnati, unfortunately. Michigan, Michigan does not control its own destiny. They need help as well because of that loss to Michigan State. And then you get to number eight at Oklahoma. Oklahoma does control its own destiny. And then to, you mentioned Wake Forest about three minutes ago. I didn't do the math on Wake Forest. That's interesting. Undefeated, number nine. They're supposed, they're supposed to control their own destiny, power five school. And you know what? They probably do. Wake Forest probably controls its own destiny. Granted, I have not done the research. Uh, the ACC is not good. Uh, they're, I don't, it's kind of similar to the Pac-12, but the thing is, Pac-12 is probably better. Yeah. That, see, Wake Forest, you bring up Wake Forest is pretty interesting. I have not done the research on Wake Forest, but it's, it's hard to imagine a 13-0 ACC champion Wake Forest missing the playoff. I mean, uh, heck, what's the whole thing? A one loss? No, no, no. Because, like, yeah, a, a one loss Power 5 champion has missed the playoff before. Ohio State missed it in 2018. But a, an undefeated Power 5 champ has never missed the college football playoff. And I don't... So that, that is an interesting I, scenario. Because, I mean, we, we do know that once they get to the final poll, they do elevate whatever you have in the loss column over anything else. Like, that actually is... Except except when they put Georgia over Ohio State that one year. That, that was and that's it. why it was so... Which, which so ended ridiculous. up being... Incon- which was inconsequential. But, right. like, that was so dumb. I, I just... It's... Um, so no, I, I guess, yeah, I like these things are so, because I, there's just so much left to happen. And I guess like Michigan does control their own destiny because Michigan state and Ohio state play each other. See, but then how does that work out with the big 10 title game? If there's a oh, three, I suppose, yeah, if, if Michigan state wins. Yeah. Cause like what happens if there's a three way tie? What if Michigan, Michigan state and Ohio state all have one loss? I don't know what that, I don't know what the big 10 rules are for who plays in the big 10 championship game. I have no idea. So I mean, no, I guess yeah. I don't. I'm not sure. I don't know. So again, um, I mean, I, Georgia, Bama, Michigan State control their own destiny. I don't think Oregon does. That's my opinion. I, I think Oregon does not control its own destiny. Oregon needs help. Ohio State, I think, does control its own destiny. I think Cincinnati probably does not control its own destiny because it's Cincinnati and they're not a Power Five team. I think Cincinnati's only chance is they need a um, they need the the pack the Pac-12 and Big Ten champ to have two losses. That's what they need. Okay. Um, and even then, even then, I, I'm not sure they would get in over a over a 11 and two Bama. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you get to Michigan at number seven. They do not control their own destiny. They need help. OU at eight controls its own destiny, and Wake Forest at nine probably controls its own destiny as well. At at undefeated, since they're undefeated. I just see. Yeah. So like right now, you know, I it's if. 
you know, if there's just one SEC team in the field, if OU wins out right now, I mean, the chances that they're playing a, a, a Big Ten or a Pac-12 or an ACC team in the first round of the playoffs are pretty darn good. Um, and I think, I think that's what, like, I mean, that's the dream. That's the dream. I, I don't really want to play Ohio State, to be honest with you. Um, I just, like, I... I do. I, I I really do think it is. It's going to end up being Michigan or Michigan State. I just I just have a feeling. There's something about Ohio State to me that's just off. There's something about them that's off. Yeah, not uh, for me. Looked, I, I think they know, figured their defense out, and I think Ohio State's probably going to make it. Like that was the thing. Their defense was bad. I, now their offense is really Penn good. State moved it and moved it way too much in that game last Saturday. I thought under like in, in a really difficult environment. And man, C.J. Stroud is just in the margins when he's got to be great. He's not very good. Yeah, I mean, he's just not. Uh, Travion Henderson is awesome. Is is awesome. Um, but I, I don't know, man. There's every uh, Ohio State has blown out a lot of bad teams this year. They've been in a fist fight with every good team that they've played. And three, they've played three good teams. They've played Minnesota, uh, Oregon, and Penn State, and all three of those games have been a fist fight. Sure. Where C.J. Stroud has been like really questionable. And that's in three. That's in three separate parts of the season, too. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. You know, and you mentioned the Nebraska. I mean, they're at Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska's you know playing. I mean, Scott Frost coaching for his, his job, uh, and then they got to go to Michigan at the end of the year. That's interesting. I, I mean, I I was on Michigan. Hey, I I can't believe Michigan. Michigan State. Oh yeah, I mean, comes to the big house. Uh, is that well? Not the big house. Like the the shoe, the shoe. Ohio State. Oh, the big house is Michigan. Yeah. Eh, whatever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Michigan State, Michigan back to back. That's pretty tough. I mean, that's that that's tough. And I mean, I just I was on Michigan. I didn't watch the game closely. I don't know. I mean, I saw Michigan was up by multiple scores and they somehow lost that game. I, that's that's stupid. Um, all right. So anything else on the rankings? I, I think we've covered it. That's that's plenty on the college football playoff rankings. That's way more than yeah, we ever. I mean, I mean, if you just discussed. go. You can go through, and there's just a, I, there's just a lot of people. There's again, and but they do this every year. There's teams clearly in the bottom half of the rankings that are there just to prop up teams that are at, at the top of the rankings. Um, I, I said, hey, as a as a Minnesota alum, a huge Golden Gopher fan, I'm going to their game at Iowa in two weeks. They shouldn't be in this poll. Their resume is not one of the 25 best in the country. Their best win is is, is against Purdue. And they lost to the to one of the worst teams in the MAC. You can't tell me that you, you cannot tell me that they're not. You know, the only reason they're in this poll is to is, is to prop up Ohio State and to tee that up for them. Well, same with Wisconsin. Wisconsin's in the poll. To, I mean, I know they've they played a lot of ranked teams at the, at the time, but I mean, if Wisconsin's in this poll, couldn't you make the argument that Iowa State should be somewhere in here at five and three? They beat Oklahoma State. But you know, I mean, and you're just you're at you're you're always yeah I, I I could because you know seeing as that they use game control and whatever the eye test and stuff like that just totally subjectively, Mississippi State is five and three and number seventeen in this poll. I am certain that Iowa State would beat them by double digits on a neutral field. I am certain that Iowa State is better than Mississippi State. Prove me wrong. I'm not the right person to ask that because I thought Mississippi State would get beaten handily by Kentucky and I was wrong about that but uh hey, clearly yep, Mississippi, not, they have yeah Mississippi State has three has three wins against teams in this in this poll though somehow <laughs> they beat Kentucky they beat Texas A&M um and NC State okay NC State and up there that that'll help out uh Wake Forest if they ever 
Have they played yet this season? They probably have. Uh, no. Oh, no. They, they play later in the year. Okay. Doesn't matter. Okay. Let's move on from that. Let's get to something else. Um, okay. So, I, can, yeah. Jeez. That's, yeah. That's, you, got, you got Kentucky in there, too. You got Kentucky, who is. You're going to stay right in, here. Freaking. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. But, yeah. You got Kentucky. Their entire reputation is based on them beating a Florida team that we know now sucks. Like, it's just, this happens every year with the SEC teams. Every year. Yeah, it, it's, it does. But it does. Whatever. All right, so I want to get your th- your thoughts, because I know you're kind of on the same page as me, but uh, my opening take, I talked about how Billy Bowman, coming out of this bye week, unless there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, I mean, if Bowman's fully healthy, I sure want to see him getting some snaps at nickel against Baylor, because if we're trying to get the best five out there, I don't think Bowman has done anything to lose his job at nickel. And, and I know you agree with me there. Uh, I just want to see if you have any sort of updated thoughts on this. Did my opening take jog anything else out of you that you want to mention? If not, we can move on to this next prompt I have. Uh, no, I mean, it's, um, I think it's clear at this point in time, if those are the five that you're going to roll out there, Justin Boyles is, is clearly your weak link there. And I mean, yeah, like, Baylor and Iowa State and Oklahoma State, if you keep, are going to attack him. They'd be foolish not to. There's just, he gives up far too much space and coverage, and he's not very physical. He's just been, you know, he's been, he's been fine. He's been fine in the sense that he hasn't made a ton of mistakes. And up until this point, out of the five guys they've been trotting out there, he hadn't been the worst one. He most certainly is now. Yeah. And so he's going to get picked on. And that, that's, the and thing. so it's, it's, right. If it's not a problem yet, it, it will be, for the coaching staff, it will be made apparently clear when other teams start to go after him hard. I think just this is my opinion. His uh, his experience, the fact that he's been in the program for so long, I think Grinch has kind of fallen back on that. I mean, you see Delarian Turner yell out there and Pat Fields, how much better the defense was with DTY back, and, and just they know the defense more, and how much of this is maybe not trusting Bowman because he's a true freshman. freshman. But again, I, I really don't think he's done anything playing nickel to warrant him all of a sudden just not playing that position anymore. Like at worst, he and Broyles should go back to the rotation and see which one plays better. So that's and I, I know you pretty much agree with that. Uh, I will ask this though. This is this is another thing that I want to hit on. The fact that late in that game when Oklahoma brought in the backups for defense, Bowman was playing, but he wasn't even playing corner. They had him at safety. Uh, does this mean like are they going to maybe play him more? at safety and if so does that make any sense knowing what we know uh and i'll just i'll answer it <laughs> i'll answer that question myself the answer is no it, it makes no sense because oklahoma does not really rotate at safety at all it's delaire and turner yell and pat fields and if billy bowman is going to be playing safety randomly now he's never going to play which we're starting to get more and more evidence that maybe that's by design. Maybe they don't want him playing anymore for some reason. Maybe, I, I don't know. It's So, it, yeah, the idea of him playing safety late in that tech game, pretty weird, huh? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I like, I don't hate the idea of him at safety. If you would have told me at the beginning of the season he was a safety, and I'd be like, ooh, like I'd kind of perk up a little bit. It's It's an odd thing right in the middle, like going into November, and yeah, I mean, I, I have to ask the question. So is what is is Demond Harmon? Is he is he the backup nickel now? I, I mean, that's that's who was in. Uh, yeah, I don't because Justin Broyles played the entire game at nickel. 
I, they really they st- they stuck with the same the same five out there. That might have been the first time all season we've seen the same five until garbage time. I mean, it was. Oh yeah, is that something? Yeah, I I, I kind of meant to to bring that up on the last podcast, but that was one of the big things. I I you know I they still were rotating pretty heavily at linebacker and the defensive line. There was zero rotation in, in the secondary. There was none at all. I Jaden Davis came in when when Key got banged up. Oh yeah, yeah. But I Key came right back in in the in the next series and he was fine. So I uh, you know and I didn't see I didn't see any rotating at all. I was I was constantly looking for Bowman the entire game. Um, yeah, and you didn't see so it. Yeah, until the I mean, end. it's yeah. a yeah, it's it, it, it's it's weird stuff. It's weird stuff for sure. Um, I think you know I like I whether or not you know Ryan or Ryan must said Ryan Broyles. I wish Ryan Broyles was playing nickel. That'd be cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like I I don't think I don't think Justin Broyles playing nickel and Billy Bowman playing nickel is is going to be what you know prevents them from getting to the playoff or not. It's just like you know I want. It might be. I mean, it it might like really matter if and when they get to the playoff, because I know that Justin Broyles is definitely going to be schemed against in that in that regard, and I'm sure others will be too. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I I share the same thoughts. I just would like to see Bowman out there some more, it, because again, I'll repeat myself for the millionth time. I just don't think his play at nickel has warranted him to be benched at nickel. I I, I think his play has been either just on par with Justin Broyles, if not slightly better because of the athleticism i mean just that tech game i, I mentioned in the last podcast because you know i hadn't watched the entire game back just early in that game when they blitzed justin Broyles, he got to the quarterback and just kind of missed him and he, he forced a throw but i remember i put a note down it's like, can these guys get the quarterback to the ground and i don't know if billy bowman gets a sack there maybe he doesn't but it's just there's that and then as i watched the game back today there was more and more of just I mean, Broyles is in a position. He's always constantly playing soft coverage, which they asked the nickel to do that. Granted, I think back to when Buki played nickel a lot and Trey Norwood, I guess they're they're playing a little bit more press than probably Justin Broyles does. And, and I know Bowman here and there this year did, but depending on the scheme, what the coverage is, they play a little more soft. And just there's plenty of passes completed in front of him. He always seems to be a step too late getting there to try to break a ball up. I know he had a PBU a couple of weeks ago against TCU, but really that's kind of the one thing you know, play that you kind of think of. And he makes things here and there, but uh, the I mean the interception, I mean it should have been a completion, and he probably tackles the guy, but the guy would have got a first down. It was a tough play. I mean the the quarterback missed the wide open running back out of the backfield. So even though it was a good play by Broyles. It was a lucky interception. It just the ball came right to him. Situations where it's it just he he's he's not yeah you mentioned he's not very physical he's not uh, he if somebody blocks him he's blocked he's out of the play he's not he's not shedding blocks so I'm just saying I'm just telling you what I'm seeing on on film I mean it, he good on him for getting a chance at you know getting to the point where he's actually playing a lot of snaps but he's just kind of a guy and maybe Billy Bowman would be a guy too it's just I'd like to see him out there to give him some more reps. And it's just so weird to me that he's not playing. And it kind of makes me think that there might be something going on behind the scenes with Billy Bowman that we just don't know about. And, you know, maybe that's why he's not playing as much because we know that Alex Grinch is cool with moving anybody everywhere and putting whoever whoever's good out there. My goodness gracious. It makes you kind of think, why was Billy Bowman the first corner they thought to move or first person they thought to move to corner? Why not move Key Lawrence right away? Like, why wasn't he the first guy? Unless they kind of were worried about Delaire and Turner Yell, and they they're like, oh, we don't have anybody else to play safety. 
beside Key Lawrence, which is probably what it was. They were like, yeah, we uh, who are we going to put it? If we move Key to corner right now, who's going to play safety next to Pat Fields? Jordan Mukes, who now is injured with that shoulder. Uh, Bryson Washington, who I saw him on the he, – he, he didn't play in the game. He, he was in street clothes. So maybe that was the idea of, like, we don't have anybody else at safety to play there. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's – that's a pretty easy explanation right there. Yeah. I'm sure that's why he was playing safeties because they don't have any bodies there right now. Okay, yeah. So, and then Larry and Turner Yell getting healthy, obviously, it afforded them the opportunity to move Key to, to corner. And Key jumped at it, and he played well. And so this leads us to a question we got from the West of Everest Facebook page from Michael. Michael wants to know, he says, what do you do with Key Lawrence when Woody Washington comes back, do you move Key to nickel or have Key replace Pat Fields? Okay, interesting question. First off, I've said it before, I don't anticipate Woody Washington coming back anytime soon. I know that maybe some people are getting super optimistic that, hey, maybe he could come back and play against Baylor. I, I think Theo Weiss is somebody that maybe we, we think might be able to play in the Baylor game. Who knows? But just from what I've heard, Woody Washington being available for Baylor, Woody Washington being available before a Big 12 championship game, I think would be surprising. Just my opinion, based on kind of the tea leaves that I've read and heard from, from some people that know what they're talking about. Uh, it, it's a good question, though, because the, the thought is, you know, if, if Woody does come back and you want to get your, your five out there, how do you do it? Because Key's playing so well. I don't think this is warranted right now because i don't think woody's coming back anytime soon but this is a podcast hypothetical let's say woody washington is available for baylor or heck even the next game against iowa state and he's he's ready to go he's fully healthy and it it's like oh wow now we got woody washington and dj graham back what do you do uh interesting I mean, it depends okay depends on how everything else is going like i mean if it is DJ Graham playing well? Is if DJ Graham's not playing well, then just Key will play opposite Woody Washington. Um, what's going on with Justin Broyles? What do you like? Does this happen during bowl workouts and practices? And then if so, like let's assume everyone's healthy and everyone's playing well. What do you do? Move him to nickel. Move him to nickel during the during the bowl practices or the or whatever it is. Um, I, I I think that's I think that's definitely what you should do. Um, is it as easy as just snapping your fingers and doing that? Probably not. Will it, will it work out like perfectly like that? Probably not. Like what, what, what will actually happen? They'll he'll probably rotate, rotate with Graham at corner. Most likely. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It, this is a good question. I, Cause I, I'll be honest with you. I haven't done a whole lot of thinking on this until right now, but man, my thought is let's say it gets to that point and key, let's say key continues to build off of that performance against Texas tech because he played really well. His tackling was was not as good as it should have been. He was a little soft a couple times, threw a couple shoulders. I think I saw the one play that you thought I was talking about, second half, where he just threw a shoulder and it didn't really affect anything. He did that early in the game. Tackling needs to be better. But overall, his, his ability to compete at the catch point was great. It, it was one of the best we've seen all season long. And so if he continues to build off that and keeps playing really well and becomes a guy that players and, and quarterbacks don't even want to throw to, Man, it's difficult to, to take him away from corner. I, I mean, I, I almost think like what, he's played one game. He's played one game there. That's where it gets like we gotta. I mean, what if what if he just gets 
just roasted in Waco in a couple weeks. That's what I said, though. That's the hypothetical. If he keeps building off of that and he gets to the point where he actually is a pretty darn good corner and he's playing better than a DJ Graham, for instance. But DJ Graham is also one of your best defensive backs. I wonder if DJ Graham could play nickel. <laughs> is he a guy that they can move over there if Woody Washington is healthy? And they're like, man, we, don't, we can't take key off the field, but we love him at corner. And I don't know if he'd be as impactful at nickel. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you probably don't. You're probably not going to see a guy move from corner to nickel. But heck, I mean, they, everyone says it's so difficult to move from safety to corner compared to moving from corner to somewhere else. That could potentially be tested. I, yeah, it's it's this is a podcast discussion. Um, we'll see if it gets to that point. I don't know. I do have some thoughts from. I guess yeah, because I, I share. I just I don't I don't expect Woody Washington back this season. Um, that's that, and I'm not. I'm operating in the same information that you have, that everyone has. I just, I don't expect him back. Like I, I when, when, when you get to this point, when he's missed this much time, you have to question whether or not it's even realistic for him to come back. And even if he does, is it realistic that he'll be effective? Sure. No, I, I'm with you. I mean, we see him. He's been at games. He's, you know, he's not dressed. Uh, walking around uh yeah it's like he's he's around it's just yeah again i don't anticipate woody washington being back anytime anytime soon uh the one like i i think you know the one silver lining is that i mean it's it's looking it's looking more and more like woody will probably be back next season i would guess i mean he hasn't dude hasn't played a lot of college football at all if he goes to the draft he's not gonna get drafted high yeah because he just doesn't have a lot of tape um so i mean that's that's a silver lining that sounds pretty good all right so speaking of key lawrence and his move from safety to corner one of the things that i talked about last week and you and i talk about we're kind of on the same page here you know i'm of the mind that i i think moving from safety to corner is not as difficult as people say it is but at the same time you got a guy like teddy layman who knows more about football than you and i do saying that it's very difficult uh, I, I saw, you know, a, I think a listener to the podcast, you know, tweeted at me and said, yeah, it, it, it is difficult. It's, it's more difficult than moving from corner to safety. Okay, that's fine. I, I, I want some more details about why, because the reason why I think going from safety to corner is not as hard as people make it out to be is because I'll repeat myself again. There's less responsibility as a cornerback. You have the guy across from you. You're not having to worry about checks. You're not having to worry about making sure the entire defense is in the right coverage, in the right check. You're not having to cover as much ground. Sometimes at safety, you have to cover half of the field. Sometimes you got to cover the entirety of the field if you're at single high safety, and you got to make sure that you don't make one false step because if you do, then one of your corners is going to have no help over the top. That's a lot of responsibility, and frankly, I think that's really hard. Whereas at corner, it's more difficult for you as a corner if you're just not very athletic. Or you're not very smart because the guy across from you, maybe they beat you off the ball and they're faster than you and, and you're toasted. But I really do think, though, a, even a lack of athleticism. Granted, these are Division One players, so they're all somewhat athletic for the most part. But even if you're not as fast or as athletic as, as somebody, you can make up for it with just smart technique, understanding what the receiver is probably going to try to do based off of film study, where they're lined up on the field, down in distance. That all just takes football smarts. Heck, Parnell Motley wasn't the most athletic guy or fastest guy, he was a really good corner at the end of his career at Oklahoma. He was just a smart player, pretty physical for his size, and he got a, you know, he was able to play good corner. So that's why I think going from safety to corner 
is not as difficult as people make it out to be. But what I did, though, is that I know a guy that, that knows his stuff. He, uh, he knows Oklahoma football. He knows football, college football in general. And I, he asked me to not really give his identity out, but it's somebody that, that knows what they're talking about. I'll, that's the best, best I could say. He's, he's a guy I know. And he's a listener to the podcast, so he, he may hear this and he may feel embarrassed that I'm describing him this way uh, or not. But I reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I, I talked about this on the podcast. From your perspective, you know your stuff going. You, know, you watch the game. You know that key moved from safety to corner. Given everything going on, is it more difficult going from safety to corner? Like Teddy Lehman says, do you agree with that or do you disagree with that? And tell me why. And so here is his response. And I got a long response. And from the guy I know, he says, this is a great question. And this is from the email I got from him. He says, I'm going to give you a pretty standard answer here to start. It depends on the guy. And in this case, with the bye week ahead, the opponent. Key Lawrence is clearly a guy who had played some corner or nickel, corner and nickel, excuse me, before, and has good eye discipline, which he says is critical for a corner. And he has good feet and he has good hands. Says Key still got tested a few times. Sonny Cumbie's been around quite a bit, but Oklahoma had the clear talent advantage. Plus, we knew that they were going to be more aggressive considering what was going on with their program. Speaking of Texas Tech, changing coaches, things like that. More from the email from a guy I know that knows what he's talking about. He says, I do know that Oklahoma does not want to play a three safety show. Oklahoma does not want to play a three safety show like a lot of teams in the Big 12 do right now. He says Oklahoma wants to be good against the run which is going to come in handy these last three games. And in parentheses, he says, no defensive coordinator truly wants to have three safeties. They only do it out of necessity. That's interesting. I, hadn't, I didn't know that. I hadn't thought of that before. He adds, this is speculation, but Oklahoma felt like it had to play three safeties in order to get their best 11 on the field Saturday. Delarian Turner-Yale and Pat Fields know the defense, and you want your smartest guys at safety. They felt like Lawrence gave them the best chance to cover a receiver other than any of the other guys they have been with there due to injuries. So the thought process is that they need to get their best 11 out there. Even though Key's a safety, we think that Key's going to be able to get out there and cover guys. And this is just his opinion now. He's gonna, this is his kind of spin on everything going on. This is a good listener in the know email, and I appreciate him for sending this. I also wonder... How much this has to do with effort. Alex Grinch has been pretty clear with his recent comments that they've had some issues at practice with work ethic. Even though Grinch is the defensive coordinator and oversees everybody, I have to think that he wouldn't say the effort thing if it wasn't with his own position group. Because if you're a coach, a position coach, and your defensive coordinator is openly criticizing effort to the media, that would be a pretty crappy thing for a coach to do. So his opinion, his spin is that maybe there's some poor effort in the back end with Grinch's position group at safety, which is kind of interesting, or maybe with the Nichols as well. And he does, he does mention that, you know, Alex Grinch, he, he's, he's never specified a position group or which guys are giving effort, which guys aren't giving effort. But internally, whenever Grinch says stuff like that, he says that everyone knows what he's talking about. And that's, that's his insight onto what's going on with Oklahoma. He knows Oklahoma a little bit, and he knows, he knows college football, just football in general, offense, defense. And so that's what he thought. And, and I, I will acknowledge that 
there's not really a straight up set answer to my question of, hey, is it really hard to go from safety to corner? That was more of just a discussion on the situation at Texas Tech. But I, I was wondering, I, I figured maybe you guys would find that kind of interesting because I did. I read the email and there's a couple of points there that I hadn't thought of before. And we know Grinch talks about effort quite a bit. Yeah, I, I, interesting that maybe when he's calling out effort, it's around his position group and, and really nobody else. So I know that was a lot there, Grant. You were kind of sitting back and listening. What stood out to you, if anything, from that? I think, I think by far the most interesting, uh, most interesting thing that he says there is was the comment about no defensive coordinator wants to play three safeties and OU doesn't want to play with the three shell safeties. Um, I just, I, I just found that interesting. I, I, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I think that's clear. It's, I mean, the, the three shell safety look is kind of a fad in college football right now. And OU hasn't done it at all. Um, which I mean, I think is, is going to hurt them later on, you know, if, if, and when they play like an, like, I, yeah, I'm just like, you need the three shell safety look if you're going to play a team like Ohio State, period. So, uh, you know, I, I really hope they don't get to the point where they're so rigid with that, that the, the whole point of that is that you don't, so you don't get freaking shredded by all of these amazing receivers hunting for matchups. Yeah, no, I found that part interesting as well, uh, because the, the part of the email, he said that the, the three shell safety or the, the three safeties in general. They don't want to do that. A lot of D corners don't want to do that because the alternative is that you're better against the run without it. I think that that's what I read correctly. I think that's what he said. Um, yeah, and I think that's definitely that's the implication for sure. You just, I mean, go look at. Yeah, I mean, when when you do that, you're absolutely relying on one of those safeties or maybe both of them to come up into the box and help in the run game. And I think you know a lot of the times when you're counting on a safety to do that, of course, like the conventional wisdom, right, is that they're not going to be as good tackling which is why you need safeties who can tackle like that. I mean, if, if your safeties can tackle and are like legitimately talented of coming up in the, in the run, I think, I think Iowa state, John Heacock stuff that Brent Venables has done as well has proven that that three shell safety look, if you got safeties who can tackle is really like, you can do a lot with that. And it's actually a really, a really tough nut to crack. But I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's just my opinion. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Those are big ifs though. Big ifs. I mean, yeah. I mean, if it's, if your safeties can't tackle and you're not and you're not, you know, rotating in a bunch of massive huge bodies on the defensive line, then oh yeah, I mean you can get absolutely pummeled on the ground for sure. Yeah, and we'll transition to the Texas Tech game. I you know, I thought Delarian Turner Yell and Pat Fields both played pretty well. They both tackled pretty well in that game from what I remember, and, and it was good to see him back. Uh, I, I do want to talk about Caleb Williams and it's just one of those things where, okay, Everyone knows he's good, but I got the all 22, fortunately, to watch of the Texas Tech game. And so I went back and watched Oklahoma's offense through the all 22. And, dude, it, it, Caleb Williams was so good in that game. And I wrote down notes on all these different plays, all these different passes he made, and it would take way too long for me to go through it all. So I'll just I'll hit on, let's see. All in on two plays, maybe three. And I'm going to give a credit to Gabe Iker because he alerted me to this play. If anyone listened to his podcast, the Oklahoma Breakdown podcast with Teddy Lehman, after the game, Gabe pointed out uh, this play in the second quarter with 14.07 to go on first and 10. And I hadn't watched the game back at all yet when I was listening to his podcast. So I heard this on his podcast, and I thought to, I made a note. said, okay, go back, 
make sure you circle this play whenever you get to it so you can remember what Gabe said. And I, you know, Gabe said this is a really, really good play by Caleb Williams. And it's a play that you would see, and you may not think it's a great play for the reason why it was a great play. And I got to give credit to Gabe Biker because, again, he's one of those guys that knows a lot more about football than I do. He played at OU. He knows what he's talking about. Certainly knows a lot more about the offensive line than, than I do. My God. Uh, because he did that and that he was good at it. He said that this is a good example of uh, Caleb Williams understanding offensive line protections, which Gabe said is one of the more difficult things to learn as a young quarterback and just as a quarterback in general. And if you go back and watch the play, it's, again, 14.07 to go second quarter. And this is the play, by the way, where Caleb Williams, like, spins out of a sack and then finds Braden Willis for a first down. And it's like, oh, cool. Like, what a, what a cool spin move, you know? Like, he got the first down. But what makes it so good, according to Gabe, is that there's six defenders up at the line of scrimmage. And Caleb Williams is an empty in the shotgun. So he has no backs back there. He's, he's by himself. And there's, so obviously there's five offensive linemen there to block only six guys. And so Caleb Williams knows that one of these players is uncovered, is going to be unblocked. And so the protection shifts to the right of the play. And so Caleb knows that his, on his backside, there's going to be a free rusher there if, if he comes, if he blitzes. And of course, the guy does come. And so Caleb Williams knew before the snap that five of the six guys would be blocked up based off of the protection sliding to the right, and that the one guy likely that would not be blocked would be to his backside. So he, he anticipated the backside rusher, which made it, I guess, easier, for lack of a better term or word, for him to spin away from that sack. Like, he saw the guy coming. He knew he was responsible for that guy. Right. And, and so the fact that he knew that before the snap obviously made it a lot more doable for him to avoid that sack with his athleticism, gets away, rolls out, and the cherry on top is finding Braden Willis for a first down. I mean, it's first and 10, and not only does he avoid a sack, he doesn't just roll out and just you know throw it away or pick up a yard or two scrambling. He gets a first down. It's a positive play. And so that was, a, that was an awesome play by Caleb Williams that a guy making his, what, third start? He made that play. I know it's Texas Tech, but Texas Tech, like that's, that's a big boy play. And Gabe pointed it out, so I went back and watched it, and he was right. That was a really cool play. Uh, another one I'll point out is, how about this? The, the long completion to Mario Williams, not the touchdown pass, but the long completion when Oklahoma was going left to right down near the goal line into the red zone where Mario Williams had the double move. He had a little, uh, I think, a slant and a go. That pass, that might have been Caleb Williams' best throw of the day. He, he throws that ball from the far hash. It, it, it travels 50 yards in the air, maybe 55 yards in the air on a line to the perfect spot where only Mario Williams could catch that ball. And the throw was great. And, and what I like, though, even more is the pre-snap recognition of this play is that Caleb sees the single safety is near the middle of the field. And he's got a long ways to go to get over the top of that. So the chances of him impacting that play are pretty slim and Caleb sees that and that's why he he knows that Mario is the read on that play and even though the safety was so far away he did a pretty decent job of trying to sprint over and get over it which made the throw even more important that it was away from the inside of the field it was towards the sideline only Mario could get it whatever it was 30 35 yards of the, on the on the gain that that might have been his best throw of the day uh, do you have any thoughts on that play off the top of your head 
Uh, I, I mean, I just on on that play from where I was sitting in the stadium, you. I mean, you could. The thing that that stood out to me the most on that play was the velocity on the throw. Was it was it was very clear from that he that it was a rope that he that he, that he used a, that it was like a it was a freaking cannonball coming out of his hand. Um, that was the thing that stood out to me watching it live, and also Mario Williams's route in person was was really impressive, was really good too. Um, what stood out to me watching it back on TV was that it was kind of a small window. Was that he did actually like Mario was open, he was for sure, but it was is a difficult throw. Is is a throw yeah, that a vast majority of of players in 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 the country cannot make. No. And because it was the far hash on a line and the corner did a pretty decent job of recovering off the double move. He I mean, Mario wasn't wide open by 15 yards. I mean, the guy did a pretty decent job of making up some ground, which made then made the throw location that much more important. The next one I want to bring up is the Braden Willis touchdown. And you and I were debating this after the game. I don't think it was tipped. I, I, I'm, I am certain it was tipped. I have watched it at least 20 times now. It's clear that it's tipped. Who tipped it? It, it, it literally goes through the hands of the defender. Oh. It goes through like the little the hole that he makes in his hands, and it like hits his thumb. You can you can clearly see the trajectory of the ball changing. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's what I, I watched the all twenty two and from high up. I I guess I saw the the tight end zone copy as well, uh, but it just didn't seem like it was tipped. But it, it saw a lot of velocity on it. But the 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 impressive watch the watch the TV broadcast. It's okay. I mean it's clear as day that it was tipped. Okay. The impressive thing about that though, the throw is obviously impressive, but. The fact that that play immediately breaks down because Andrew Rame just gets bull rushed. He gets beat right up the middle. And the play breaks down. It, it forces Williams into immediately second reaction mode. Because if you see, he has about a half second before the play breaks down. He wants to go to the backside of the play to his left. And then whenever he realizes that, man, this guy is bull rushing me or Andrew Rame's getting beat, he has to bail and step up to the, the front side of the play. And so he's got... Two guys, Mario Williams and Braden Willis, and he is able just to stay calm and throws an absolute dart between three people to the back of the end zone to Braden Willis. So it was it was the throw obviously was great, but just the fact that the play broke down almost immediately, didn't panic. I mean, it's right at him too in his face, which has got to be one of the more difficult things to deal with when the play breaks down. And he you can't step up. Can't yeah. He was able to sidestep that. He did step up, though, into the, I think, maybe the B gap or the C gap. And he kept calm. He almost he, he looked towards Mario Williams in the corner of the end zone, but the DB was shading Mario. But whenever he started going towards Mario, that opened up that window to the backside even more with Braden Willis, and he made the right throw. And it was a perfect throw. <laughs> so that was a great play. Uh, and, and also, like, there's so many great plays. I mean, the, the touchdown pass to, to uh, Drake Stoops, that was another situation where I really enjoyed his pre-snap recognition of the high safety, just the single high safety. And he knows Stoops' route. Stoops ran the little like up, uh, kind of fake slant, and then up the field, up the hash. And so before the snap, he knows that Stoops is going to be on the hash. And so likely, it's going to be Stoops, and the safety is the only defender that has a, has a chance to, to combat Stoops for the ball. And what I like about this throw is that Williams knows that, and he throws the ball away from the safety to the outside part of the hash. And Drake Stoops is a good enough player. He's able to go up, you know, shift his body in the air. And he makes a nice catch. And also, it, it, it's a great throw because there's no chance he's going to get intercepted. 
And also, there's no chance that Drake Stoops is going to get hit. He doesn't take a hit from the safety. He throws that ball on the inside. The safety potentially can either knock it away or lay a big hit on Drake Stoops. Just the attention to detail of the ball placement on that throw. That, it's great. It's awesome, man. This guy's only played four games in college. Jeez, man. Yeah, I mean, it's, I he's... I mean, not uh, I. I like I. I've clearly been hyperbolic enough on Caleb Williams already. Um, I mean, it's 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 clearly the you know the best you know first four games of any OU quarterback I think we've ever seen. I mean, that includes Kyler. Um, and that I mean, with the quarterbacks who have come through come through this program in the last twenty years, that's that's nothing to sneeze at. That's very significant when I say that. And like I, I don't. I mean, it's. He's he's best quarterback in college football. He yeah, just, he's, I, I, he's at, at the very least he's he's definitely the most talented, which is crazy. At just the how it just flipped. That's that's exactly what what we thought Spencer Rattler was coming into this season. Um, man, I didn't I didn't think Spencer <laughs> Rattler would be this good though. I, I, no, I mean he yeah. I, Caleb is Caleb is playing right now. What we've seen from him, and you know first half against Kansas notwithstanding. He he has played at a Baker and Kyler level up to this point, which is in which is insane. It's insane. I don't know if we've made like, this. I, maybe we talked about it, but I don't know if we have. I mean, it's we probably did, but you mentioned he's playing at a Baker and Kyler level. The way he plays, his style of play, it's like a mixture of both of their best attributes. Have we talked about that on the podcast? I mean, like it's it's incredible. Like. It's 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 weird. I mean, it's it's incredible, and there's not much else. I mean, I left out a couple other plays. I mean, the first touchdown pass that he had to Mario Williams was just an incredible individual effort. I just I, I think it's yeah yeah it was a great play. Um, just yeah, his ability to to one. I mean, like while the pocket was breaking down, his ability to not just you know try to break contain by going to the outside, but him continuously trying to step up and still get like a good throwing lane. Um, like that's impressive. I just like I think I'm so excited to watch this dude play in Waco, uh, in like a on a road environment, a team that's very likely going to be eight and one, maybe in the top ten. Um, I, I mean that's going to be really cool to watch. Um, I'm I'm curious. I I, I think uh, I think the the game's on on the six day window right now, so I think it's either going to be at eleven or seven. Was the, and I think if you if you sort of if you kind of do a little digging, you sort of kind of look at the schedule. If Baylor wins this week and they're, you know, they're favored against TCU and they should be against a, a Jerry kill coach TCU team. Um, I, that, that's going to be the big noon kickoff. I think, I don't think it's going to be a night game. I think that's going to be the 11 AM kick on Fox because it's, the game is going to be on Fox regardless. And if it's you know nine and overs is eight and one, they're gonna they're gonna do their their big noon kickoff window for that, wouldn't they? Well, take your time right now. Look up that that day and see if there's any other big games possibly. And I'll, I'll transition into throwing some cold water on stuff right now because I do want to talk about the defense in the game. And yes, the defense played a lot better than it has in a month. That's obvious. But since this is a podcast and we want to try to point out things that could potentially hurt Oklahoma in the future against better teams, better offenses. And I'll be honest, man, was it, I think Donovan Smith, the quarterback for Texas Tech, who played, ended up playing most of the game. 
That guy wasn't very good. Uh, that that was not a very good player. He's one of the, he's one of the worst. I I'm trying to think like outside of Western Carroll, I, he may be the worst quarterback they've gone against this season. Man, like yeah, Columbia not playing. No, 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 no. The guy from Kansas is awful. Oh yeah, Bean is not good either. Uh, but that yeah. Uh, but so yeah, like Oklahoma plays against quarterbacks like that the rest of the way. I'm not worried about the defense, but I mean we're not. <laughs> Oklahoma's going to play against better quarterbacks, and so just some things that I noticed in the rewatch, the entire thing. I mean, but also they're not going to be playing against anybody who they should be particularly terrified right. of. No, I, I get that. I mean, you got uh, Bohannon coming up with Baylor. You got Brock Purdy, and then you got Spencer Sanders. I get it. Yeah, it's it's not. And what the more yeah, the more I look at it, the best. Best quarterback they're they're facing this season in in Big Twelve play regular season is Skylar Thompson, Max Duggan. I mean Skylar Thompson, Max Duggan, uh, Casey Thompson. All those guys had big time career type games against Oklahoma. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Skylar Thompson's really good. Max Duggan's good. Made a lot better looking though against Oklahoma. But here's what stood out to me, and I'll I'll do this, and then you can kind of get back to what we were talking about with the big noon thing. Slant routes against Oklahoma's secondary is still a problem. They're there a lot, uh, whether it's on the corners, whether it's on the nickel. And sure, DJ Graham, Key Lawrence, they're they're making contact almost immediately, but they're not getting there in time to break up the pass. I mean, they're they're there, and it's happening a lot. I mean, that it seems like slants were kind of there whenever they wanted it. Uh, secondary on the uh, the Justin Broyles interception. Oklahoma busted a coverage there. I mentioned earlier, the running back was wide open out of the backfield. A better quarterback probably sees that and exploits it. It's an explosive play. And we talked about the two touchdowns in the last podcast that Oklahoma gave up before the garbage time touchdown. After the game, Alex Grinch specifically talked about how that first touchdown they gave up. That can't happen. You got a safety over the top. You got a corner there. That can't happen. You got to make that play. The other touchdown, uh, you know, where DJ Graham, we were confused on where he was on the play, why he was where he was. We didn't get a good look at the replay. That seemed to be a play on fourth down that should not have happened as well, should have been broken up. So just plays that I know the other team is making, Oklahoma should have guys there, and they kind of do have guys there. Make more competitive plays on the ball. Linebackers in pass coverage also, not great. Uh, uh, There was one play that stood out to me in particular. It was that fourth down, fourth down and short kind of near midfield where Tech went for it, and they picked it up on the drag route. And Oklahoma looked, looked like it was playing man coverage. But I was confused about what David Agwebu was doing. He did not have a man, and he was in the middle of the field. And I don't know if maybe he was supposed to be some sort of a spy and not being man or what. Maybe. Uh, but at the same time, probably not, because he started to sink deep when he realized it was a pass play. And I don't know why he felt the need to start sinking and getting deep when he saw a dragging wide receiver cross his face on fourth and two. I don't know why he started going deep as opposed to, hey, I should probably come down here and help on this obvious fourth down and short drag route against man coverage on the outside and help out my corner here because it's, it's flashing right in front of my face. But instead, he, he kind of thought, oh, damn, it's a pass play. I got I to gotta get deep and cover the middle of the field. But the th- problem is there, OU had a deep safety back there, and there was nobody that was behind him running any sort of intermediate or deep route. So he just he took himself out of the play. And it was just, I don't, I don't know what the call was. I don't know if he was supposed to be in man or whatever. It's just, it was an example of it looked to be a situation where he probably should have seen that guy flashing in front of his face 
and it should have clicked in his head that it's fourth and two. This guy's dragging across against man coverage. I'm going to come up and, and knock this ball away or maybe intercept it or help out my man. Instead, he just sunk and took himself out of the play, and Texas Tech easily picked up the first down. Just It's one play, but it's just it kind of goes to the lack of football awareness sometimes. And I'll, I'll just get back to it. I mean, Donovan Smith, the quarterback, wasn't very good back there. He's not a starter. And Oklahoma's going to face better quarterbacks than him, even though they're not going to face all-time, all-time great Big 12 quarterbacks. They're going to face better guys. And so those are the, the defensive deficiencies that I saw, even in a game in which the defense played a lot better, had a lot more TFLs. I like the way Delarian Turner-Yell played. I like the way Key Lawrence played for the most part. And, the, and even though the defensive line only had, I think, what, the one sack, the sack fumble, the defensive line I thought was, was, was good. Jalen Redman didn't play all that much at all. And Alex Grinch said after the game that, you know, with the bye week and they're hoping to increase those snaps moving forward against Baylor. So Jalen Redmond in there. I mean, Alex Grinch loves that guy. We love that guy. With Jalen Redmond playing more on the inside, that frees up Isaiah Thomas to play more on the outside. Isaiah Thomas is a lot better on the outside. And hopefully that makes the team a lot better moving forward. All right, that's all I have on the defense. If you, could, if you want to add anything, go for it. If not, you can give us an update on the big noon kickoff situation. No, the linebackers aren't very good. Bad in coverage, really inconsistent. That's, I mean, they need to get a lot better. Like, base. I mean, basically, that's 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 basically exactly correct. So, um, now two week the schedule. So, as of right now, um, OU and Baylor. That's almost certainly going to be the college game day game. Um, there's trying to think. There's only two other games that are ranked teams against other ranked teams. Um, the other one is Minnesota at Iowa, and that's number 20 versus number 22. But I already know that game is going to be on the Big Ten Network, and that game cannot be played at night um, because in the Big Ten, to play a November night game, both teams have to agree to it. And, of course, a road team would never agree to that. That's never really happened. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that, that game is... So I know, I know for sure, and just based off of stuff I've already followed because I'm going to that game, uh, that's that's going to be an 11 a.m. or a 2:30 p.m. kickoff. That game will be, um, and we know that the OU Baylor game is going to be on Fox because they said it was 11 or 7 p.m. And if it were if if it were potentially going to be the ABC primetime game, that kickoff would be 6:30, not 7 p.m. So it's and I that's and that's why I kind of think. That 11 a.m. window on Fox is their All is right. what they want to highlight, and I'm looking. There's already about 10 games that have been scheduled for 11 a.m. at that point in time, and I think Fox, looking at this schedule of, of games, Fox is going to think, "Oh yeah, we we want to put that game on at 11 because it's there's zo- there's no competition, and it could be a you know a top 10 matchup." So. Um, I think we're we're definitely looking at. I think if Baylor loses to TCU this week, the game is probably going to be a 7 p.m. kick on the game's on Fox regardless. Um, but yeah, I think if Baylor wins, it, it's going to be the 11 a.m. big noon kickoff uh, for that. Which I I mean, obviously, I prefer that. But also at the same time, there's something about kind of like the bright lights where it's like ah, I kind of feel like that's where Caleb would be would be better. But also, I mean that that probably doesn't matter. So mm. um, the other the the game that I think is most likely to be the 6:30 ABC game is NC State at Wake Forest. I'm looking at that right now. There's no there's no time scheduled for that. Um and if Wake Forest is is undefeated and NC that it wouldn't surprise me if they put that one on on ABC. All right, West of Everest investigates. 
Well done. That's why we have a big budget here. So you can investigate things like that. Take all the time in the world. We don't have a budget at all. Uh, let's go to the West of Everest Facebook page because I did put a prompt up before this podcast about an hour before just to see if anybody wanted to comment or give us any questions. And so there's a, there's a couple of Facebook comments here. Let's go with Jay. Jay says, just win, baby. Hopefully being ranked number eight will somewhat light a fire under Oklahoma. As a fan, you hope it wakes up the monster. With that being said, just winning out, I feel the rankings will take care of themselves. It's a great point, Jay. We didn't bring that up at all. I, we talked all about the rankings in Oklahoma being at eight. We didn't talk about our feelings of them being at eight when it comes to the actual team. I love they're at eight because this team, they always seem to play better when they're disrespected. And the last thing I want is for this Oklahoma team to all of a sudden think they're good again. Because when they think they're good, Kansas happens. That, that kind of crap happens. And so I like that they're eight. And I'm sure you do as well. Yeah, I mean it's. Yeah, okay. I, I I mean I hope it lights a fire under him. I like I I still come from the way. I mean, if you need to have a fire, sure, you know, lit under you right now, there's something wrong. Okay, like, that's I mean, a good if point. you're nine and zero going into November and you, but I mean, I it's yes the the disrespect card this the disrespect angle is a is a cliche in sports for a reason, mm-hmm. especially going into championship November where this team has been just thriving under Lincoln Riley. Nathan on the West of Everest Facebook page says the top four of the playoff rankings as it is now will cannibalize itself. Just win. Ryan on the West of Everest Facebook page says Bama. And then he puts the emoji with the guy with the face palm. So he's just as mad about Bama being at two as you are, Grant, it would seem. And the last message we have on the West of Everest Facebook page is from Harry, longtime listener Harry. Good to see you on Saturday, Harry. He says, Grant and Lee, please just know monkey business. And uh, Harry is referencing this ridiculous story about uh, Jeff Banks, who's the special teams coordinator at Texas, and what is his stripper girlfriend who has a monkey. And I, I'll be honest with you, I saw headlines, but I have not uh, dove into the story. Have you uh, dove into the story to give us more background? Or are you like me and you're just kind of like, I don't, like this sounds ridiculous, but at the same time, I don't care. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a story that's very clearly made for the internet, and I hate the internet. Yeah. So even though I spend a ton of time on it, yeah. Uh, no, I mean it's it's crazy. I mean, like, what is it? It's yeah. The Jeff Banks's stripper girlfriend's pet monkey bit one of the Texas players and like seriously injured him, or was it just a child or something like that? Like a child who was trick or treating. All right, so here's the Sports Illustrated headline from Dan Gartland. Pet monkey of Texas special teams coach's girlfriend allegedly bites child on Halloween. So not a player, allegedly bites a child. So yeah, this is not the podcast. You're going to get a bunch of jokes and, and thoughts on this because to me, it's just a huge waste of time. I, don't, I get that it's ridiculous. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm, just, I'm not clever enough to make that funny. I'm, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's like, it's, the headline's right itself. I mean, it's it's definitely a funny headline. I mean, that's like a pet monkey, like <laughs> biting a child who's trick-or-treating. That's... Yeah. But also, yeah, it's like I... And I get it. Yeah, what a, haha, Texas, it's funny. But that's like one of those things where it's just like, gosh, I feel like I see a story like that on the internet every single day, and every single time I just keep scrolling. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I'm, you know, I'm self-aware enough to know I'm not the guy to to dive into stuff like this and make a big deal about it and try to make jokes because I'm not funny. 
And I see the headline. I'm like, okay, yeah. My only thing I'll add to this is that when I covered Texas A&M, Jeff Banks was a special teams coordinator there. And I didn't know much about Jeff Banks aside from he was always the guy that the few times you got a chance to be on practice, uh, the practice field, he was always super high energy guy, screaming, yelling, always had a big old dip in his mouth. That dude, uh, you know, big old skull or whatever, whatever he would chew. And I, I always heard that he was a really good recruiter. He was a great recruiter, I heard. And I, I want to say when someone got fired, I want to say he, he coached at Bama for a year or two. I think I want to say Nick Saban picked him up. I could be wrong about that. Probably should look that up. But then eventually, obviously, he ended up at Texas. And now I want to look that up because I want to make sure that I'm right about that with the Bama thing. Because that does sound kind of crazy. Yeah, I'm right. Yeah, he, he coached at Bama from 2018 to 2020 as the tight ends coach and special teams coordinator. So he went to Alabama. Then he got a job at Texas most recently as their assistant head coach, tight end, and special teams coordinator. And again, like I've always kind of assumed the reason why he's he's elevated so much, he's getting these good jobs. I always heard of A&M, he's a really good recruiter. And maybe that's why he's at Texas. I don't know. I mean, he must be a – because, like, special teams coordinator, great. Tight ends coach, okay. But, like, if you're a good recruiter, obviously when, you're going to be somebody that, that coaches want. When Sark was hired, I remember Jeff Banks being, like, a, a pretty big figure that he was bringing over. Um, and it had to be because of the recruiting or whatever, but, um, and he was, he was, uh, a big guy at A&M now that I'm looking back at it. And I, I was gone when this happened, but I guess when someone got fired, he was the interim head coach as well. So that's how much he was looked at on that A&M staff as he was apparently the next guy up after someone was fired. So the, the remainder of 2017, he was the interim head coach. So he's a guy that's got a, a decent background and he's coached for a long time. But uh, apparently his, his off-the-field stuff is a little out there, allegedly. That's all I have. I still just, I, I love that Texas is 4-4. and four. It would, like, I mean, if it, it would be, it'd be unbelievable if it wasn't so predictable. <laughs> uh, any other? F- I mean, even just, I'm, I'm just saying, even after the Cotton Bowl, man, like, you, you had basically the entire media apparatus of the Big 12 being like, yeah, I think it's pretty clear that these, that Texas is... The, the, at least the second best team in the Big Twelve. There's gonna be gonna be a rematch and like, uh, and like I remember thinking I was like, eh, yeah, like OU just like they replaced Spencer Rattler and then all of a sudden they looked like OU again and Texas gave up over 350 yards rushing against like yeah, just come on guys, think a little bit. Yeah, some of you may know this, some of you may not. I just found this out just because I was curious. Tom Herman. And his time at Texas, just what, four years, 17, 18, 19, and 20. Tom Herman, not once, not once ever lost three games in a row. Texas has already with Sark. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. And, I mean, they've been blowing. Yeah, it's a little interesting. And they've been blowing fourth quarter Ooh. leads. I mean, they could easily be whatever. I mean, what, how many games did they play? They played eight or nine, probably eight, obviously, because they've had a bye week. I mean, they could easily be, what, six and two, if not seven and one. I mean, I think they're um – you know, I mean, their their offense, I think, is, is is clearly much better schemed, is much better coordinated. Um, I don't know. I and I, I I'm still one of the guys. I, I think Sam Ellinger is still really underrated. I think Sam Ellinger essentially carried them to every single win that they had in the Tom Herman era. But I, whatever, it's over. All right. Any final thoughts on this podcast that went way longer than I thought it would? Nib high football rules. Really looking forward to it's our last pod for a week. I was gonna say, yeah, this is. Um, I think you're gonna say this, but yeah, I'm not. Uh, the bye week's definitely coming at a good time. 
Definitely coming at a good time. Not going to be uh, surprising. I'm not, not going to be watching a whole lot of college football this weekend. Going to kind of kind of step away from it a bit. I'm going try to try to go outside and do things. And I, I suggest everyone does the same. Spend time with your family. Go do something that's... But also, I mean, college football is great. So you're, you're adults. Do what you want to do. Yeah, don't tell people what to do. Come on. They're going to... Come on. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Because yeah, you know, our next episode's going to be a week from now. Uh, previewing the Baylor game. And like, obviously, we're not going to have a post-game podcast because there's no game on Saturday. And you know, I, I share your thoughts. I mean, this is one of the first times I can remember not being annoyed by an Oklahoma bye week. I mean, it, it's been kind of a grind. I mean, I know we don't play the games like they do, but I mean, it's with work. I mean, like going down to Norman every every week, same schedule. My days are longer than they, they normally are. I know I, you guys don't care. I'm just telling you what, what it is. So it, it has felt nice this week to not have a game. It's, it's a little bit of a an exhale and uh that's weird because like normally i don't like bye weeks and i you know i want oklahoma to play as many games as possible but I, I do not mind oklahoma being off on this saturday and i actually have this saturday off from work because i'm going to a wedding so i am looking forward to doing like normal people stuff for once on a saturday but you better believe i'm gonna be trying to find college football whenever i can I mean, I'll be trying to watch as much as I possibly can. Oh, I'll be like, I'll be following it for sure. I just, I mean, I just, I don't know how, how close to a TV I'm going to be, you know, the, the entire weekend, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know, man, this is a, and of course I have, I have different feelings all the time. And so take this with a massive grain of salt, but kind of, I'm getting the feeling this may be a massive chaotic college football Saturday, which means it'd be just, it's the perfect Saturday for OU not to play. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see if they make up any ground in the college football playoff rankings by not playing. It's certainly possible. It's happened before, I'm sure. Because they're one game ahead of everybody. They've already played that extra game. So I think even though Oklahoma's on a bye, they should. I mean, everyone else is going to be at the nine game mark. Oklahoma's already played their ninth. So heck, maybe they're just waiting for everybody else to play that ninth game. And then they'll go ahead and give Oklahoma more credit. Sorry, I'm trying to look. I'm not trying because we didn't. I mean, you sh- you should have uh, put the picks up here so we could keep our picks going. Because I'm oh. just like I'm hot. Yeah, I definitely. I'm did trying not to do look that. at. So here we go. I mean, like just kind of at, at at first glance, I'm looking at stuff that like chaotic stuff that could happen. Um, like I already said, I think I think Ohio. Like I'm getting kind of the same Ohio State vibes against Nebraska as I did when Alabama went to College Station. That that's that's kind of like, take that with a grain of salt. Um. I think I think one that is pretty obvious, but everyone's also been saying this too. I think it's a really good chance Michigan State loses to Purdue on Saturday. Um, Michigan State is a team that the analytical models don't really love them, um, and I think a lot of them see that game against Purdue as sort of a toss-up. And you know, you can kind of poo-poo that all you want, but that's been the case. You know, that was the case with Wisconsin against Iowa last week too, and that turned out to be totally right. Wisconsin beat the crap out of Iowa. Um, looking at other things, I think Oklahoma State should absolutely be on alert going to Morgantown. Um, see, see, but Auburn and Texas A&M, I don't care o- about that game. If you're OSU, though, aren't you aren't you excited that West Virginia just did this last week, though? It kind of got yeah, out of their system. Probably. Probably. I mean, but it, there's there's so many obvious things, like the thing you mentioned, the Purdue one. Like you said, it's an obvious, but sometimes the obvious things do um, happen. I think Oregon... Oregon could absolutely lose to Washington as well. Hmm. I'm looking at the Big 12 slate. 
we're always pointing out these weird lines. Baylor TCU is a weird line. TCU at home just fired Gary Patterson. Baylor is only a six and a half point road favorite. That's a weird line. That's got to be one where, and especially two where, I mean, Baylor is one of the, Baylor has one of the best running games in college football and TCU can't freaking stop a nosebleed on the ground. Like not, I mean, I, I would make, maybe if it was Baylor seven and a half with that hook, but that's still, I mean, less than a full touchdown. I, I get they're on the road, but TCU's not very good. They just fired their coach. That's a weird line. That is a really weird one. Texas and Iowa State, honestly, is the game that I'm most excited for. Like, by far. <laughs> what a great, man, what, what a great spot for Texas to be in. Honestly, I think, I, think Texas, I think Texas wins this game. Actually wins that game. Um, or uh, do I think that? I don't know. I've been going back and forth. <laughs> I, hope it's a, I hope it's an extremely difficult environment for our Longhorn friends. <laughs> yeah, I apologize for that. I didn't think about putting up other games. My whole thought was this was going to be a really quick podcast. We just hit on a couple things like the rankings and the Texas Tech game. And all of a sudden it turned into a ni- another 90-minute plus thing. It just – we talk way too much. So, yeah, you are hot. And I hate so this – yeah. yeah. I hate this is a th- I, I hate that this is a thing. But OU probably needs Iowa State to win that game. Um it'd be it'd be better for OU if Iowa State is is potentially in the top twenty five when they play. Iowa State a six and a half point home favorite over Texas. Okay. Well that's all I that's all the thoughts I have. I don't have any picks. So uh, all right, let's get out of here. Until next week. Enjoy your weekend. Until next time, for Grant. My name is Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.